The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Monday edition of PFTPM, week 15, almost completely in the books. Steelers visit the Bengals tonight. And sometimes things happen right before we come on the air. And part of me saying we should hold this until the end of the segment, but I can't keep quiet about it for 20 minutes. I'm stunned. Hall of Fame pass rusher Kevin Green, dead at the age of 58. Multiple reports to that effect. Apparently a heart attack. It's still very early, but it's been confirmed via multiple reports, Shereen. I'm just just blown away by it. I'm blown away by it. 58 years old, born in 1962, and, uh, you know, seemingly in good health, which is another reminder to all of us that we should get regular physicals and get checked out because you never know what's going on on the inside until you have a doctor take a look at it. But I'm just just stunned and flabbergasted, and this is something that we're just finding out about as we come on the air today. So with that, I say good afternoon, Shereen, your thoughts and your reaction to the news that Kevin Green has passed. Well, it just kind of hits home, Mike, because it's in our age group. And, you know, we remember seeing Kevin Green in his prime and doing what he did to to quarterbacks for so long, 15-year career. And I am extremely happy that he got to go into the Hall of Fame before he passed. But it is stunning at his age Uh, to die and to hear that and at first you think this news can't be real but it is real unfortunately the hall of fame put out a press release confirming confirming the bad news so a bad way to start christmas week mike five-time pro bowler played for the rams he was a fifth round pick in 1985 after being the sec defensive player of the year out of auburn was with the rams through 92 steelers for just three seasons but doesn't it seem like he was with the steelers for a lot longer than three seasons it seems like he was with the steelers for 10 years i think of kevin green and the first thing i think of is the steelers even though he spent much longer with the rams he also played for the panthers the 49ers and then two years with the Carolina Panthers uh, and spent time as an assistant coach with the Packers and the Jets. We had him on PFT Live, I think, after he made it to the Hall of Fame. Just a ton of energy. Great guy, engaging guy, and, uh, you know, one of the best pass rushers of his generation is evidenced by the fact that he got to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and it took a while, Mike, for him to go in the Hall of Fame, probably longer than it should have. I think 20. 20- uh, 16 was the year he went into the Hall of Fame and, and probably should have been long before that because of the sacks that he has. He was an outstanding player, one of the best of his era in what he did, and that was to get it to the quarterback. And I agree with you. When you think of Kevin Green, you think of him in that Steelers uniform, even though he didn't play in that uniform very long. And when I hear, what it was it, three years, that just doesn't seem like uh, long enough. It seems like he was in that Steelers uniform a lot longer than that. And then secondly, I think of him in that Rams uniform. Yeah, absolutely. And our condolences to the family, friends, teammates, colleagues, uh, and acquaintances of Kevin Green. It really is a stunner. It's a depressing way to start the show, but frankly, I wouldn't be able to keep quiet about it for the full segment because it was weighing on me, and uh, uh, I don't feel any better. 
but at least we've addressed it. And now I'll be somewhat less distracted as we talk about other things happening in the National Football League. One of the teams that Kevin Green played for, the Carolina Panthers, made it known that general manager Marty Herney will leave the team at the end of the 2020 season. A not all that unusual move. If you know you're going to do it, go ahead and do it. And it's entirely possible. And this is where we get skeptical about what really meets the eye. It was entirely possible that David Tepper, the owner of the team, was concerned that word was going to get out, that that they're looking at potential candidates. That's the balance you strike once you know you're going to move on from a GM or a coach. How involved are you in looking for replacements and how concerned are you it's going to become public before you actually make it known that the relationship is ending? There's no way that David Tepper, the owner of that team, just rolled out of bed this morning and said, I need a new GM. This clearly is something that's been planned. It's been strategized. And my guess is this is when David Tepper all along planned to make it known that it was going to be a parting of the ways. And the Panthers aren't going to use a, a third-party search firm. Tepper's a guy, he's one of the richest guys in the NFL. And he's brilliant, and he's tactical. And my guess is he's had a plan in place for a long time to make this move, and he's been implementing it and unfolding it. And today, we all found out about it. But I'm surprised that he waited as long as he did to make a change at general manager. I thought it would be inevitable after he bought the team. But uh, now it's upon us, and now we have five teams looking for general managers as the end of the season approaches, Shereen. Yeah, Mike, I think it's a decision that was already made as well, and especially since he said he already had a list of candidates, and maybe it's a situation where you have a list of candidates anyway. I know a lot of teams do that, have candidates that they have in mind. But also, Mike, I am thinking that they thought they were falling behind the other four teams who were looking for a GM, and if you're going to make that move, now's the time to do it and get on the train and and figure out who your GM's going to be and start interviewing those candidates because we know those other teams have started interviews. They've announced them. They've gone through some of the candidates, and they have probably the candidate in mind that they want to hire or getting close to that. So the Panthers, if they were going to make the move, needed to do it, and they have done it. Uh, it, it's going to be a reverse of what you usually see. Usually the GM hires the head coach, and in this case the head coach is going to have a say in the GM. We saw that in Houston. It didn't work out so well for Brian Gain. Hopefully it works out uh, better for whoever the GM of the Panthers is. I'm not a big fan of this GM being hired while there's still a head coach and a coach in whom a huge investment has been made. Whoever takes that job knows going in. They're not going to just write a check and buy out Matt Rule when they're paying him, what is it, seven, eight, nine million million a year after only one season as the coach of the team. And th that's the challenge that David Tepper is now going to have, finding a general manager who is fully on board with the structure. And then the question is, who has the power? Does the coach have the power? Does the GM have the power? And if the coach has the power, specifically final say over the draft and the 53-man roster, it becomes harder to hire a GM because you have to be able to offer to someone who is currently an executive with another team, whether it's the director of college scouting or some other title less than GM. You've got to give them GM powers or the team can say, no, you're not allowed to hire him. That's why... John Lynch ended up being the GM of the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan had all the power. He couldn't hire somebody from another team. He had to go to somebody who was unattached, and Lynch, of course, was working in the media at the time. Same thing with John Gruden when he became the coach of the Raiders. After one year, Reggie McKenzie's gone. John Gruden's got the power. They had to hire Mike Mayock. He was unattached. I'm not saying these guys were unqualified, but they're unattached, and it makes it easier 
to hire these guys because the coach is in charge. And look, I, maybe Matt Rule's done enough that David Tepper is giving Matt Rule the keys to the car. And Matt Rule's going to be the one who picks the GM. And it's going to be a Bill Belichick type of a situation where the GM is the one who is setting the table for the head coach, Shereen. Yeah, and David Tepper also said today, Mike, that it's going to be analytic-driven and data-driven, and that was where the philosophical differences came in with Marty Herney and why they moved on, and that's a big part of what Matt Rule does is the analytics and, and the data. And so that's who they're going to be looking for is somebody who really stresses that, and that's what they want in their organization, and we're going to see how that works out. And David Tepper would not address whether the, the signing of – uh, the signing of Teddy Bridgewater played into that decision or not, but he did say that it was philosophical differences. So now they can get a new GM and we'll see how much power or more power that Matt rule has now. But Bridgewater meshed with Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator Bridgewater knew the offense that Brady was going to run and it's worked. They've been right. better than I thought they were going to be. They're not a playoff contender. Nobody expected it. Everybody expected two and 14 at best. So they have been better under Matt rule and we'll see where it goes from here. This one quote stands out for me, and I remember seeing it the first time I watched the All or Nothing series 2019 when it focused on the Carolina Panthers. David Tepper writing in the back of an SUV saying this, the league is set to be 8-8. Eight and eight. Everything is fair in this league. So if you have better coaches, better GMs, some advantages with facilities, advantages with training, management process, whatever those, whatever is, you know, analytics, whatever that is to give you an edge, that's what you need, and you need a good quarterback. That was the moment for me that I thought, uh-oh, it's just a matter of time before Ron Rivera's gone and Marty Herney's gone. Rivera went last year. Herney goes now. There will be a new GM in Carolina. One of the teams looking for both a new GM and a new head coach, the Houston Texans. They've announced that they have met with Jim Caldwell, former Colts and Lions head coach, to be the Texans head coach. Now, it's a little bit backwards to hire or to at least consider coaches before you have a GM, and it makes me wonder who's going to have the juice in Houston. And they said met. I thought there was a memo that said they can only do virtual meetings through the end of the season. Maybe, they, maybe they're just taking a liberty with the term, and nowadays that's how 98% of all meetings happen anyway. But Caldwell as a potential candidate to coach the Texans. That's fine as long as the next GM is on board with Caldwell being the coach of the Texans. And I'd hate to think that the Texans are thinking seriously about coaching candidates until they know who the GM is going to be, Shireen. Yeah, it seems weird, Mike, that they would meet with him now, but it does fulfill, obviously, the Rooney rule. But I hope they're giving him serious consideration, and this isn't just to comply with the Rooney rule, which is what it seems, frankly, right now. But I do hope if they're interviewing him, they give him serious consideration, and this isn't just to check off that box that, hey, we, we've done our minority interview, and now we can move on with who we really want. Let's take this seriously and interview some candidates who you really want to hire. And Jim Caldwell certainly deserves to be in that category of coaches you would seriously consider with what he did in Indianapolis and then, frankly, what he did in Detroit and what Detroit's done after he left there. But let's hope it's just not checking that box, Mike. 62-50 and 50 as a head coach. And if I recall correctly, when we were – critiquing John Gruden last week 63 and 79 is his record since winning a Super Bowl so 62 and 50 I'm no math whiz I think 62 and 50 is better 
than 63 and 79. Also won the 2009 AFC championship with the Colts. And that banner is better than 2014 AFC finalists. So he's got that going for him as well. His banner is better than Chuck Pagano's banner in Indianapolis. Caldwell was fired by the Lions in 2017 after a pair of nine and seven seasons. The Lions stunk ever since then. And look, this, this, this was a product of Bob Quinn going in there knowing he wanted Matt Patricia. This is the dynamic that we're talking about as it relates to the Panthers. Yes. Bob Quinn was hired by the Lions with Caldwell as the coach, and Quinn knew he was going to hire Matt Patricia. The question is, when was he going to do it? Some general managers will wash out the coach and not give the coach a chance and rip the Band-Aid off in one motion. Others will give the coach a chance to show that the coach needs to go. The problem is Caldwell had a pair of nine and seven seasons, and it made it awkward when yeah. they finally did move on from Jim Caldwell. So uh, I think Caldwell will be inherently sensitive to the idea, Shireen, that I'd like to at least have yeah. a clue as to who the GM is going to be before you would hire me. I don't want to be in a situation where the GM that wants to get rid of me. And, and also, as it relates to the Rooney rule, my sense this year, I haven't heard this, but this is just the broader circumstance and context, given so much of the emphasis that is flowing from the league office on increasing the number of minority coaches and general managers. I think teams are going to grossly overcomply with the Rooney Rule requirement, which is good. I still think at the end of the day, the owners are going to hire who they want to hire. But the more, and this is one of the reasons they came up with the Rooney Rule, the more that minority candidates are talked about and interviewed and discussed and considered, the thinking is that it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy that those individuals get opportunities at some point. But I think we're going to see significant overcompliance. None of this check the box, do the bare minimum, the crap that the Texans pulled a couple of years ago. And I'm, I, I can't yeah, say all due right. respect because it was crap. They fire Brian Gain. They want Nick Casario. They pre-interview two minority candidates. I think it was Ray Farmer and another one. If you know it, shout it out. And then they decided they couldn't get Casario, so we're not going to have a GM. Never mind the fact that we interviewed two minority candidates. Um, we're, we're just go we're good. We're fine with what we have. I think Rod Graves was at the uh, Fritz Pollard Alliance at the time. Whoever was running at the time was not happy with the way that was handled. And I, I don't think we're going to have that this year. We're going to have overcompliance, and that's a good thing. And we'll see ultimately whether the Texans or anyone else will hire a minority GM or a minority head coach. But where we are right now, five GMs, three coaches, two weeks to go in the regular season, and we'll see how many more Shireen openings come. I think we've seen the bulk of them already. I think teams want to get a head start. I don't think we're going to have a big, a big uh, avalanche of firings after the regular season ends. Jacksonville, Jets, who else, Mike? That may be it. That may be all we're looking at uh, as far as head coaches go the rest of the way. That we, we probably have seen the bulk of those. There's always that surprise, too. I think last year the surprise was that there yeah. wasn't a surprise, but we always have to be our, our, on guard for the one that, that happens that we weren't really expecting. An injury yesterday for the Kansas City Chiefs to discuss. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, great rookie running back, came out of the gate strong, diminished a little bit after that. Le'Veon Bell has been getting more and more play there as he's gotten comfortable in the Chiefs' offense. Edwards-Alaire is expected to miss the remainder of the regular season. High ankle sprain, x-rays negative, may be able to return for the playoffs. I, I think it's important for him to be back, but 
if you start listing skill position players on the Chiefs that they don't critically need, I I, I think that's one of or both running that that's where you start because you go for, you find another running back because running back's not a critical piece of the puzzle. We know Damian Williams had a big contribution last year in the postseason, specifically in the Super Bowl, but there are running backs out there. The guys you need are the receivers, the tight end, the quarterback. If you're going to start losing skill position players, running back will do the least damage to the interests of the Chiefs. And we saw that yesterday, Mike. Le'Veon Bell came in and had his best game. He had 12 carries for 62 yards and a touchdown, that nice 12-yard touchdown run. And I think they can put their faith in Le'Veon Bell. He's played a lot of postseason games. He has that experience that, frankly, Claude Edwards-Hilaire doesn't have, considering that he's a rookie. So they're fine with Le'Veon Bell. They're fine if, if he were to get hurt in the next two games. I think, as you said, they would be fine. As much as they throw the ball, as good as they are at the other skill position and with the tight end that they have, they are good with whoever they have at running back. We've seen that. We saw it last year when they won the Super Bowl. There was no superstar at running back, and we all felt like they got better drafting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the first round uh, this year, but they are fine without him too, Mike. He's got 808 rushing yards on the season. He had 138 week one against the Texans, which was a long time ago, but feels like not that long ago. One other 100-yard game, 26 carries for 161 in the win over Buffalo. Other than that, it's all over the place. It's as low as 14, 32, 37. You mentioned that Bell had 62 yesterday. Edwards Alaire had 79. So it's not a critical blow to the Kansas City offense, and he hasn't been – as he was the name, he was the hot name for rookie of the year. Remember that going into the season, everybody was like, "Oh, Clyde yeah. Edwards-Helaire," and he, you know, everybody wanted to draft him on their fantasy team. He hasn't delivered, and I feel bad for him coming into the NFL with that weight of expectations. He didn't deliver the way that that we had expected, and now uh, his regular season ends with 808 rushing yards, and we'll see if he's back for the postseason. The Chiefs, though, Shireen, to amplify a point that we've made on PFT Live, I posted the poll yesterday. We've had well over 25,000 votes, and the majority of the people responding when the choice is Chiefs versus the field to win the Super Bowl, the majority is saying Chiefs. And look, the playoffs are exciting, and you see who gets a seat at the table, and anything can happen in theory. But I feel like if I had to pick one, if I was going to wager any amount of money or anything of value or anything I cared about, I would say the Chiefs over the field. I'd take that bet. Oh, I would too, Mike. It's an easy bet right now. They look like the best team. But I would say this. I mean, going into last season, last postseason, I think we thought the Ravens looked like the best team too, right? They had the MVP. They were 14-2. and two. They were rolling at that point. You felt like... They were going to get to the Super Bowl and maybe win it, but of course they had the Chiefs standing in their way and and didn't get there. And and so you never know what can happen, but there is no reason to think that the Chiefs won't do what they did last year. I do think they're going to play some tough playoff games. We saw it last year, and you've talked about this repeatedly, about how many times they had to come back every single game. They had to come back, come back, come back. And I think we're going to see some games like that. But I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs with the way they're playing right now. Unless something happens in the last two games, I'm with you. If I was going to bet anything, I would bet it all on the Chiefs right now. More than 24,600 votes. 55.7% say Chiefs. 44.3% say the field. And the first comment I'm looking at from Ta Hutch 76, the field. 
too many variables. And now I'm starting to doubt my conviction in the Chiefs. But you're right, T.A. Hutch. Too many things can go wrong. All it takes, and I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it for fear of being accused of applying the jinx. But all it takes is one specific thing that happened during the 2019 regular season that can derail the team's hopes. All right, let's shut up before we actually cross the bridge on the jinx. Let's take a break. When we return, oh, 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 no, before we take a break, an important point as it relates to the Buffalo Bills, one of the teams that could derail the Kansas City Chiefs. The, the, The Bills may have fans in what is now known Bills Stadium. It's gone from Rich Stadium to Ralph Wilson Stadium to New Era Field. It's now Bills Stadium. They're trying to finalize a plan and get official approval for 7,000 people. That's not a huge crowd, but 7,000 crazy screaming Bills fans is better than zero. And we're still waiting to find out. They want to wait and see what the infection rates look like in early January. They have to make a decision fairly quickly because they'll play a game there most likely the weekend of January the 9th, but uh, Shireen, uh, look, those fans deserve this. And I was both impressed and also a little bit horrified by the thousands that were packed together waiting at the airport. I don't know how you can stop a spontaneous celebration like that. Is it smart amid a pandemic? No. But what can you do? What can you do? Yeah. You can't do anything, Mike. Those fans deserve that. Hopefully COVID didn't spread crazy there their first playoff game since january 1997 i hope they do get to have fans in the stands but either way that is a tough place to play in january the way that the bills are currently playing and the way that they have stepped up three straight nationally televised games from two weeks ago monday night football against the 49ers to sunday night against the steelers to saturday late afternoon against the broncos and the way they dismantled denver and now next monday night a game against the Patriots, which means nothing for New England, but still, there's something symbolic about the Bills beating the Patriots and sweeping the Patriots. If they can get through that stretch of four games with everyone paying attention to what they've done, that prepares them to not just get to the playoffs and and lose like they did 10 to 3 I believe the score was to the Jaguars in 2017 in the wild card round or last year up 16 to nothing in the third quarter and it all fell apart and they lost in overtime I think they're ready to get to January and win and maybe win two and maybe win three and maybe get back to the Super Bowl for the first time since the 1993 season all right let's take a break when we return a roundup of the best of my Sunday conversations Matt Nagy Salvan Ahmed and Russell Wilson. You'll hear some of each of those right after this on PFTPM. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Sunday tradition in these parts. I get folks on the telephone after the early games and have a conversation about how things went and whatever else I can glean from them in the time that I have. Yesterday's conversation, Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson, followed by Dolphins running back Salvin Ahmed, and then Bears head coach Matt Nagy. Here is the best of Sunday's conversations right now. Home field advantage in the playoffs. Is that something you guys are striving for, or do you look at it as it's no big deal since we don't have fans? Well, of course. We always we always try to get home field advantage. But also I think what matters is we're just getting in the playoffs to get to December with a chance. And we've done that for so many years now, and it's such a blessing, you know. Uh, I'm grateful, you know, to be the quarterback of this team and to get us back here again and give us a chance to win a Super Bowl is a real deal. And uh, that's, what we, that's what we come here to do, right? You know, to win it all. So hopefully we can do that. And the NFC seems so wide open this year. No real dominant team. Is this just one of those situations of whoever gets hot is going to end up going to Tampa? Well, I, I think that um, you know every every year. You know, I all know the NFC West is you know has been always challenging. It's always been a great division. I think also too is the NFC as a whole. There's been so many great teams over the years and great players and stuff. And and so yeah, I think um, you know obviously the NFC's you know got great players too, but. Just you know, the play, people we have to play every week. <laughs> every in our own division is a challenge. You know, it feels like a Super Bowl in every week. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I think you know the, the reality is is that you know um, you got to play great, consistent football throughout the stretch. Offense, defense, special teams, and that team who can stay disciplined in the approach and what we're doing is the team that's going to have the best chance. You've been down this road so many times, Russell. How important is it to carry a winning streak and have momentum from December into January? Well, I think it, I think it definitely does help. It's not the end all, be all, but I think it definitely helps when you're winning. You know, winning, winning is a habit, you know, and the reality is, is we definitely know that habit and we we got to stay on. What does the offense need to do to improve and what do you need to do to improve down the stretch? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, for us, we, we ran the ball well today. We threw, you know, four touchdowns last week. We had a good another one today. I think, you know, we just, you know, keep, keep scoring, keep winning. You know, I think that's all that matters, you know. Um, and so the line did a great job of blocking today, which was huge. You know, I mean, you know, the offensive line can block the way they were blocking, you know, in the back, even protection game, or the run game um, in particular. I think that gives us a great chance to win it all. Give me an idea of, of, whether or not Coach Flores was any different today with this game, given that it was his old boss Bill Belichick and the Patriots coming to town. Uh, yeah, no, you, you know we just attack every game. You know the same. You know Coach Flores didn't act any different. You know we prepared throughout the week the same as we always do. Um, you know it's just go out there and execute our game plan. So um, you know I think that you know today as a team we're able to do that and you know kind of move on to the next game now. How aware were you guys before the game that beating the Patriots would eliminate them from playoff contention? Uh, you know, we, we're aware of, of, you know, game situations, and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't change how we play. You know, we just want to go out there and execute our game plan. But, uh, you know, we're aware of game situations when they come up, and, uh, you know, it's just not nice to go out there and get a win. 
What was the mindset today for attacking the Patriots' defense? Uh, you know, like I said, execute, execute our game plan. You know, I think running the ball, you know, passing the ball and doing everything that we're able to do, um, you know, today the O-line was, was amazing. You know, Tua being able to get time to throw the ball, you know, us being able to run the ball, um, you know, so they, they were up there, out there executing on, on everything. So um, the game plan versus them was to, you know, to execute our game plan. When did you know that you were going to have a big day? Uh, man, I don't know. I guess, you know, just kind of go with the flow of the game. But, you know, kind of, you know, got a couple of runs in. was like, hey, all lines, you know, getting some great push, getting some great push on this. So, um, you know, I felt that, felt that we were able to do some really good things. You know, obviously, you know, two was able to get in the zone, and Matt was able to get some really good yards. And, uh, you know, it's just exciting to be a part of that. You were missing some guys today. What's the attitude in the in the locker room and, and on the field when, you know, when someone's missing? Uh, is it no excuses? Next man up, go do the job. Doesn't matter who's there or who's not there. Uh, you know, definitely. You know, we, we value everyone on the team, but it's definitely um, you know guys got to step up, um, and that's just that's just the name of the game. You know, guys are things are going to happen to people, and um, I think you know everyone stepped up in a big way. We're able to be a really good win as a team. Now, uh, t- tell me about the two-point play. Uh, what? Wh- wh- how much have you guys worked on that, and how did it all unfold? Uh, yeah, it's just something we work on every week. Um, that's just a game time situation. Um, you know, go for two. It's not something that comes up all the time. So, you know, if everyone's able to execute on the play and we was able to get in. But, um, you know, it's kind of a, kind of an exciting moment. You know, we got, got to pitch the ball and I got to see, you know, Mac out there blocking and, you know, got to see free pylon. So, it was good. What's happened to the offense, bigger picture? What What's changed about it? Yeah, so, so, Big picture, a few things. Um, in the last four weeks, we've, we've literally had a consistent offensive line. We made some moves after the bye. And um, the guys, we, we haven't had changes there, so the guys have done a good job there. We moved the Fed to right tackle. We moved Cody from center to left guard. And then we had two young guys that both played in Notre Dame with Alex Bars and Mustaper come in and fill like big time roles for us. And they've been really doing well. And it's there's just an awesome communication right now in the run game and pass game. There's consistency with all five of those guys. I mean, David and, and um, you know, Mitchell back there just between the, the run game and the, the movements, the play actions, the bootlegs, uh, all that. It's just kind of, it's really clicking. And there's a huge confidence right now with them. We're practicing fast and they, they just, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome. It feels good right now from everybody, coaches and players, tight end, wide receivers, everybody. Have you changed the schematics at all, though, or is, is it just a, a personnel situation? Yeah. No, no, no. I would say there's – so we, we've done some things schematically as well, and I think that that's a credit to all of our coaches. Like, if you were to watch us the last two years versus this year, you know, when Mitchell was in there early on in the season – we did some things, and then, you know, we made the quarterback change, and we had some moving parts in the middle of the season on the offensive line, and we were just trying to figure out what what worked best, and it was a little bit of a struggle, and we kind of went back to what um, what we're doing now. How's Nick Foles handling the situation? He's doing good. I mean, it, it's, as you can imagine for anybody, if it was me or you in that situation, it would be hard. Now, like, you know, when he got hurt in Minnesota, the last time we played these guys, he got hurt at the end of the game. And we weren't sure what was going to happen. And 
he was able to get back a couple weeks later. And, you know, he's a, Nick's a, a great teammate. It's not easy, but he's such a good teammate, and he understands where we're at and what's going on, that he's been a great teammate to Mitch. He's been really good. And I, and when you're in, when you build a quarterback room, and I learned this with Coach Reed, you have to have it with guys that are playing for one another. As, much, as, as selfish as the quarterback position can be because there's only one of them, you have to have guys that are selfish and teammates. You've got two neat guys. And both of these guys that we have, Mitchell and, and Nick, are both really good for each other, and, and I appreciate that about both of them. So they've both been in this football. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Final wild card spot in the, AF, in the NFC. It's Arizona right now that has it. They're number seven. It's Chicago on the outside looking in at number eight, and it's simple for Arizona. If they could win out, that's a big if when you look at that schedule, but if they win out, they make the playoffs. Here is where it gets tricky, though. Look at next week. The Cardinals play the 49ers, and the Bears play who? The Jaguars. We're just talking about the Jaguars. Now they have the worst record in the league. If the Bears get the win next week and go to 8-7, and seven, the pressure's on Arizona. Because if Arizona loses that game to the 49ers, and they're both 8-7, and seven, guess who has the tiebreaker? It's the Bears who have the tiebreaker. So they're both, look, the Packers and the Rams, they're both staring at very tough games in the last week of the season. But next week looks very interesting because the Bears have one of the easiest games any team has in the league next week. And the Cardinals have a much tougher task, potentially, against the 49ers. If you're the Cardinals, you really, really want to win that game next week. Because if you end up in a tie with the Bears, it's the Bears who are going to the playoffs. Steve Kornacki breaking down the numbers, and there is the playoff picture in the NFC. Packers in, Saints in, Seahawks in. Washington will be in this weekend with a victory over the Panthers and a Giants loss to the Ravens. If the Washington football team loses, it could be chaos in the NFC East in Week 17, and I love some chaos. 
For the wild card, the Rams, the five seed, Bucks currently six seed, and the Cardinals clinging to the seventh seed, the Bears trying to make a run at supplanting the Cardinals. The Bears won yesterday's de facto elimination game. The Vikings are down to 2% now chance to make it to the playoffs. I would definitely bet the under on that one, Shireen. But as we get into some MPM QB on this 15th Monday of the regular season, Mike Zimmer, a couple of times yesterday, went for it deep in his own end. One was kind of a Barry Switzer thing. Second quarter, five minutes, 52 seconds left. Fourth and one on their own 34, trailing 17 to 7. Dalvin Cook stopped for no gain. The Bears kick a field goal. It's 20 to 7 at that point. That one was odd to me. It was just odd. That's the only word that I can think of that doesn't involve profanity. It was odd to, to go for it in that spot and to do something as basic as run it right into the teeth of the Chicago defense. Uh, the only thing I'd say is at least he gave it to Dalvin Cook. I mean, the last time he did something like that it was down on the goal line, <laughs> but he gave it to An- Alexander Madison, and that didn't work out so well. And I said, well, if you had Dalvin Cook, it's a different situation. He had Dalvin Cook, but I, I do think this was a different situation, Mike, in how deep they were and how early it was in the game. I just don't think you go for it at that point. And I know all the analytics people will say, oh, you still should have gone for it, blah, blah, blah. I, I agree with some of the analytics stuff. I just don't know if that early in the game, in that situation with the score of the game that you go for it, there's just too much time left and you have a chance to come back. You look at what the Bucks did, and I realize the Vikings weren't playing the Falcons, and we know how the Falcons tend to fold, but they had plenty of time to mount a comeback after that if they had just punted the ball. Look, I'll say what I said earlier today on PFT Live about analytics, and I think there is definitely a place for analytics. It's important to understand at a deep level the statistics generated and the extent to which those statistics will indeed predict future results. But those percentages that we see of going for it versus punting and what you should do and when you should do it, those are the result of years and years of iterations to get to those percentages. Most football coaches do not have the luxury of playing that out over the course of years and years and years. They have limited opportunities, and when you start doing unconventional things, you end up getting fired before the percentages start working in your favor. That is the big flaw with analytics. You don't have 10,000 chances to do this same thing, and hey, if we do it 10,000 times, 5,000 and 50 of them are going to go this way, so we should always do it that way. No. And fourth and one, on your own 34, with or without Dalvin Cook, you don't run it into the teeth of that defense. You just don't do it. And not that at the end of the day it made a huge difference to the game, but it was an attitude type of thing. And here's where I think it affected the Vikings, Shireen, when they needed it with two minutes left, fourth and one on their own 29, they threw. And it was the play that we've seen many times over the last three years Kirk Cousins' time with the Vikings, he tries to roll out and someone springs free and is in his face and he's not fast enough or mobile enough or elusive enough to run away from that pressure. So he had that guy in his face who just kept chasing him, chasing him, chasing him, and he eventually threw a bad pass. And that was that game over. Yeah, and they had gotten the interception in the end zone before that. Mike Cameron Dantzler got that. The the Bears were driving. They were at the six-yard line, and they get the interception, just what they need. They have plenty of time to drive down and try to win the game, and and they couldn't do it. And and that fourth down play, I think, was emblematic of 
of what this team has been this year. They haven't been able to make the plays when they've had chances to make them. Mike Zimmer has proved to be very aggressive this year, I think more than any other year, and he's gone for it on multiple occasions that you probably question a little bit. And on that first one, Mike, you know, with, with the struggles that Dan Bailey has had, I would not have minded if you're bypassing the field goal to, to try to go for it. But that deep in the end zone, I, in the end of your field, I just don't think you do it at that point when you're still in the game. And this is why the Vikings are where they are and why they're going to be on the outside looking in and why Mike Zimmer's going to go into next season on the hot seat, perhaps the hottest seat of anybody in the NFL, Mike. It is another example of how an isolated handful of decisions, moments, calls, whatever, determine the difference between making it to the playoffs and not making it to the playoffs. And that if that handful of moments over the course of 17 weeks go your way, if enough of them go your way, you're in. If enough of them don't go your way, you're out. We talked earlier today on PFT Live about this whole Colts and Texans dynamic. Two games, two weeks apart, where the Colts get some fluky thing that goes their way to preserve a victory. You take away those two wins, Colts are done, right? They're done. Just those moments, yeah. Colts are done. Those two things go their way. You take away one of them and they may be done. With When you look at the fact that between the Browns and the, the Colts or the Titans and uh, who else is in that scrum, that's trying to to get a playoff berth. The Dolphins. Somebody's going to not Ravens. make it, and and it would and the Ravens. It would be the Colts on the outside looking in if those games hadn't gone their way against the Texans. So it's just crazy how it can happen, but but uh, that just that's just what makes those decisions even more important, and it puts so much weight on them. And again, they're isolated decisions. The idea that you you blindly adhere to numbers that are the product of thousands of opportunities to craft those averages how many of those decisions are made with the season riding on it right so yesterday's decisions by Mike Zimmer were and they did not work out and I really do think that the failure to gain fourth and one early influenced the decision to call what was a badly failed pass play late the Giants went for it twice inside field goal range once was a Jim Zorn-style fake field goal that was as ugly as anything ever concocted by the mind of Jim Zorn. All due respect to Jim Zorn. And the other one was uh, when the Giants were trailing simply 7-3, to three, fourth and two on the sixth. They went for it, gained a yard. Cleveland scored a touchdown in the ensuing drive to go up 13-3. to three. Let's hear from Joe Judge on his decisions to go for it in those two situations. Field goals weren't going to win this game. So, look, I'm not afraid to call things aggressively. I'm not afraid if I think we have a good scheme and a kicking game to call a fake. I'm not afraid to run the ball in fourth and one. And we'll play to our defense at times. If we don't get that, we've got to go out there and stand up defense. Our defense has done that consistently throughout the year. We're going to play to the strengths of our team. But, look, I'm not afraid to call it aggressively. We went into this game with that mindset. So we've got to do a better job making sure we coach it the right way, execute it the right way, and come out with the results we want. Yeah, look, I – point I made earlier today, if I can recall it correctly and not butcher it, which is about a 50-50 proposition at this point in the afternoon, I think <laughs> that you take the points against the Browns. Against the Chiefs, you go for the touchdown. Against the Browns, 
you kick field goals, you put pressure on them and their young quarterback and their offense to answer you. You have a better chance of winning the game to take the points. You don't have that compulsion to get a touchdown. With a team like the Chiefs, you get your touchdowns when you can because they're getting theirs. So that's my high-level analytics not based analysis of the situation you have to take into account who the opponent is and what kind of point scoring you're going to need to win the game that's one of the reasons why because look i've got an engineering background i've taken high level math I, i i respect math and it has a place but there are some simplicities of football that we are losing sight of and one of the simplicities in this case is what is the quality of the offense you're facing This offense isn't a high-octane attack that is destined to score 30-plus points. Therefore, you take your points when you can. It's that simple, Shereen. Yeah, Mike, to your point, if you're playing the Chiefs, you also take into account the point of the game, okay? We go back to that Denver-Kansas City game, and we criticize Vic Fangio for taking the punt instead of going for it. It was late in the game. They were giving the ball back to Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs offense. That was a bad decision. At that point, you do go for it. But in this situation, on the opening drive, to me, you take those points, you get on the board. Hey, we went right down. We drove it down their throats on the first drive. We're going to come back. We're going to do this all night. We just did it on the first possession. We got on the scoreboard. That was just so deflating when they took the kickoff and drove all the way down there and came away with nothing. The Browns won that. The Browns at that point had all the momentum and your one drive into the game. You had to get on the scoreboard at that point, and you didn't do it. And I just thought that was huge. I I just thought it was a failure on Joe Judge's part to get on the scoreboard and and just say – to the point of we're going to do this all night. We're going to keep scoring all night. We just moved it down the field. You don't know how many points you're going to get. Your defense is really good. You have to think, as he said, that you're going to be able to stop the Browns at some point. And maybe the the game would have gone differently if they had gotten those points early, Mike. It's an opportunity to knock a better team a little bit wobbly early in the game, and that's one of the setups to knocking them out if that's what you're going to do. That does not require high-level analytics. That is just gut instinct, and that is the way football works for anyone who's paid attention to it for a long time, as you and I both have. Real quickly on our way out, here's Drew Brees yesterday talking about uh, his his playing in the game and uh, whether and to what extent he was fully and completely healthy to face the Chiefs. I still have a little ways to go. I'll be honest. You know, um, I think there's there's uh, there's some things that that you know I'm still still kind of working on. But um, but it is what it is. Are you a hundred percent? No. It is indeed what it is, and on Friday we praised Sean Payton for being a genius in keeping his cards close to the vest and keeping the mouths of everyone else connected to the team shut when it relates to who got the practice reps last week, and it was clear Drew Brees was the guy all week long, and nobody said boo until Friday when they deliberately leaked that Brees would be the starter. Shireen, my faith is shaken a little bit by the fact that Sean Payton didn't find a way to keep Breeze on ice because Breeze, in my opinion, should not have been playing. And the analysis, again, another very simple analysis that I am more than qualified to engage in. How far below 100% 
are you willing to accept your starter when you have a 100% backup who is pretty damn good? Only the head coach can make that decision. I'm surprised that Sean Payton went with Drew Brees when it was obvious that Drew Brees wasn't the Drew Brees that we're used to seeing. I'm wondering how much of it, Mike, was trying to knock the rust off. I mean, did he think that they had maybe minimal chance with the receivers they had out, with no Michael Thomas, with no Harris, uh, Smith went out early. You know, with all those receivers being out, did Sean Payton go into this game thinking, we don't have a huge chance to win here. Let's go with our best quarterback, see if he can knock some of the rust off. We need to get rolling in these last two games before we go into the postseason. Let's get that rust off now. We're probably going to lose this game anyway, whether it's Hill or Breeze, and move on and get ready for the rest of the season and get ready to go in the postseason. I don't know that, but my confidence in the Saints is definitely shaken at this point considering how they lost to the Packers in Week 3 and what they're doing now with these last two losses. That game, to me, is not a knock-the-rust-off-your-franchise quarterback game. That's the Kansas City Chiefs. You knock the rust off a breeze on Friday against the Minnesota Vikings. That's what surprised me. And, yes, now that one seat, I think, for all practical purposes, is done and gone, and they're going to have to go to Lambeau Field in the cold, most likely, and Drew Brees is going to have to play under far less than ideal circumstances if they even get to the point where they're in the NFC Championship game against the Green Bay Packers. All right, let's take a break. We're going to open up the mailbag and give you a very brief Monday Night Football preview because, come on, it's the Steelers against the Bengals. More PFTPM right after this. I don't know how else I can say it, guys. I've said it three different occasions. Well, then I guess I have to say it. I'm not going to be the Alabama coach. I think I've said this over and over and over Happy anniversary, Nick Saban. 14 years ago today, he said, I'm not going to be the Alabama coach. And here we are, 14 years later, he is still the Alabama coach. Alabama-Notre Dame on January 1 in the not-Rose Bowl. Unfortunately. And then, and then uh, what is it, Clemson and Ohio State and the other one? I forget the graphic already, and I don't care enough to remember yeah. it. Uh, without having to look at it condolences though to texas a&m and not making it to the playoffs i really was anxious yesterday to find out the identity of the two teams that will be blown out by clemson and alabama in the semifinal round as you know mike i'm a diehard aggie fan i'm also a realist as a journalist whoever was going (laughs) to play clemson and alabama was going to get blown out now the aggies can go win the orange bowl and finish number three in the country and have everyone say maybe the aggies should have been in there and after those other two teams get blown out we'll be glad that we weren't in there and at least i don't know what that is and at least at least um (laughs) The the uh, and what was I saying? Now I'm com- I've been completely thrown off. I hear somebody else talking. Can we kill whoever it is that's talking? Not kill them literally. Just kill the the sound, please, from whoever's talking. Thank you. Um, Jerry Jones gets a playoff game at AT and T Stadium, which uh, I made a snarky comment that hey, at least there's going to be a postseason game. But you know what? There still can be. I did the math today. It did give me a migraine. Any of the four teams in the NFC East can still win the division. There still could be, Shireen, an NFL playoff game at Jerry World a week after 
the Rose Bowl, although I don't know what they're going to call the Rose Bowl. All right, let's open up the mailbag. Nelly with a Y. Are the Bears back? And will Nagy and Trubisky be a 2021 combo? Mitch Trubisky, due to become a free agent, the Bears did not pick up the franchise tag. Trubisky's played well. You heard the comments earlier in the program from Matt Nagy about how the Bears have improved. Do you think both will be back, Shereen? Uh, they're just in such a bind right now, Mike, because I don't think Mitchell Trubisky is a franchise quarterback. But at the same time, I think that he's their best option for 2021. So, yes, I do think everyone will be back for the Bears next season. I think they sign him to a one-year deal and try to find out a long-term solution at the quarterback position. Yeah, look, I, I think that Matt Nagy and GM Ryan Pace, and to the extent that president of the team since 1999, Ted Phillips, were in trouble, these two wins have turned it around. Being relevant through Week 17, potentially, have helped them to turn it around. They got the Jaguars this weekend. They beat the Jaguars. They're going into Week 17 with a chance to make it to the playoffs. So it's amazing how quickly things can change in the NFL. So good for the Bears, and I do think there's a chance that both will be back next year, although there will be plenty of quarterback options. One more real quickly, M. Smudge, 1984. The draft process needs to change. I never want my team to lose and hope for that to happen but now the Jets are in a worse situation because they won sports should be about trying to win what alternative draft solution would you propose I say that all teams that don't make it to the playoffs should be in a lottery Shireen and that's how you need to do it the NFL refuses to even consider it the wall is coming down between integrity of the game and trying to win in football season and getting the best possible draft position in April. At some point, the NFL's got to address it. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately what ends up happening at some point, Mike. I would love to see the Monday night after the first round of the playoffs, the two worst teams play. The winner, not the loser of that game, but the winner of that game gets the number one overall pick. It'll never happen, but I think that would be fun, and I would certainly watch that game. I am tempted by way of our Monday Night Football preview to make some outlandish proclamation like if the Bengals win, I'll get Ryan Finley's initials tattooed on my arm. I'm not that crazy, though. I don't want to spend the next five hours worried that lightning could strike because it struck yesterday for the Jets. So watch the game tonight. You never know what will happen. Enjoy your day. See you tomorrow. With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can give your lawn or garden beds a pop of color and protection. Right now, get a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10. Help your soil retain moisture longer with color that lasts up to 12 months. Shop Memorial Day savings for a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.